Welcome to DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. I am David Kennedy, Senior Associate in our Injury Risk Team, and this is the first part of a two-part series covering the introduction of the new judicial guidelines for personal injury awards in Ireland that are set to be introduced into law on the 24th of April. In this episode, we will be talking with Barrister Sheila Reedy, John Sheehy, a partner in our Injury Risk Team, and I am also delighted to say we are joined by a retired judge, Bernard Barton, discuss both their reactions to the guidelines and how they foresee them being implemented going forward. The guidelines, which in some represent a downward recalibration of general damages awards, were recently voted upon by the Irish Judicial Council, which ultimately decided to adopt them with 86 judges voting in favour and 64 voting against. The reform comes on foot of years of sustained political pressure to reduce the cost of personal injuries claims and also the cost of insurance in Ireland generally. Once enacted, they will replace the existing book of quantum currently used as a reference point for valuing injury claims in our jurisdiction. And it is expected they will bring more certainty and consistency in court awards across the board. If I can turn uh, to you to start with, John, um, what do the guidelines say um, and how does this differ essentially from the existing book of quantum? Hi, David. Uh, good morning. Uh, the, as, as you said, the, the existing book of quantum uh, was a reference point uh, for judges in valuing personal injury claims. And this is now being replaced by the Judicial Council guidelines, which effectively is a catalogue of ranges of damages for various categories of injuries. Unlike the book of quantum, the Judicial Council guidelines will be mandatory for judges to have regard to in assessing claims for personal injury. The takeaway points, in my opinion, from the guidelines and having had a look at them, is that there has been a substantial reduction in the range of damages for minor and non-serious injuries by comparison with the Book of Quantum. We see an increase on the cap and general damages for the most catastrophic and serious injuries. There's also an extensive expansion of the categories of injuries provided for in the Judicial Council guidelines. And also, I think it's fair to say that there's increased um, stipulation for the consideration that judges must have regard to when valuing claims. So I think we have a much more thorough catalogue of ranges of injuries and ranges of values um, than the, predecessing, uh, the, the predecessor um, book of quantum. Okay. Um, There seems to have been some confusion um, as to how the guidelines are to be applied as to whether they intend to imply to both existing and new claims once they're enacted. Uh, Do we have any clarity on that at the moment? Absolutely, David. And I think that was one of the things uh, when practitioners and uh, were aware that the and insurers and, and everybody involved is aware that the guidelines were coming down the tracks. The big question was whether they were going to be retrospectively applied to existing claims or whether they would just apply to new claims from the date of enactment um, of the legislation, which gives effect to the guidelines. So, and, and I think it's it, it's fair to say, as you as you pointed out, there has been some unhelpful ambiguity as to which claims it applies to and which claims it doesn't. Rule of thumb is that any cases that are subject currently subject to litigation, the new guidelines will not apply to. And in any cases currently within the injuries board, it is likely that the the, the new guidelines um, will be applicable. As I said, there's a little bit of ambiguity um, around what specific categories of claims and authorizations that the guidelines will apply to. But rule of thumb, any existing cases currently subject to litigation 
will not be subject to the new guidelines and any claims that are currently within the injuries board um, will be subjected to the new guidelines um, in very brief terms. Okay. Um, if I can ask you, uh, Judge Barton, I mean, it certainly appears, obviously, in the run-up to this uh, reform, which has been, you know, uh, a point of um, political discussion for some time, that there has been significant division amongst the ranks of our, of our judges. Um, could I ask you for your own initial reaction to these new guidelines? Um, <clears throat> yes, well, thank you. Good morning, David. I'm, I'm very pleased to be participating in this conference. Um, it, well, it... it, it the the process of of um, trying to get consistency in awards is something which has been ongoing for a long time. So I mean, I think the judicial uh, guidelines should simply be seen as the really the end of a process uh, which has been um, which has been going on certainly since since I came to the bar in 1978. Uh, it was an issue. Um, in other words, award levels and how awards were arrived at. Um, it was what um, was on the agenda then, and um, in in that first decade between 1978 and 1988, uh, you know the industry had um, focused essentially on getting rid of 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 juries, on taking juries out of the system um, for the assessment of of, of general damages. Um, the the jury system was seen basically as the you know, a major contributor to cost, um, both legal cost and also level of damages. Um, and ultimately, the government um, enacted, or sorry, the Oireachtas enacted legislation to remove the right to trial by jury in personal injury actions. But of course, this was not the panacea that it was promised to be. And within 15 years, we had PIAB. And uh, PIAB hasn't uh, delivered apparently uh, what the industry was looking for either um uh, even though we had the book of quantum and then the courts act um so uh, to a certain extent the 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 guidelines what we have now uh, is as i say it's just an it's the, it's the end of a process um uh, or the beginning of a new a, a new era uh, whereby it is hoped uh, to deliver more certainty uh, for the industry uh, and for litigants, for all litigants on, on, on both sides, um, as to what they might expect um, in terms of um, awards um, okay. for, for any what, what, injury. Yeah. Sure. So, so with that in mind, and you know, considering that we've been on this journey to get here, why do you think some judges are opposed to these guidelines? <clears throat> Well, well, I. <clears throat> there are, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, a, it, 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 I know it has been portrayed. The vote has been portrayed as you know, sixty-five, fifty. Sorry, forty-five, fifty-five. Um, for and against. Um, and this is an interesting. Um. History to it because initially it was thought um, that the the guidelines would simply go through on the nod, and it was it was actually proposed um, at a meeting of the judicial council at the first meeting of the judicial council 
or the general meeting of the Judicial Council when the when the committee's report and the draft guidelines were before the committee, um, it, it was one one of only uh, it's one of several matters uh, items on the agenda. In fact, it was the third item on the agenda, and this was sort of a, a morning meeting and there was to be some sort of a discussion and then it was thought that in the afternoon we would simply take a vote and the uh, guidelines would be adopted. Um, now, it transpired, of course, that the personal injury judges in particular were opposed to the guidelines and um, a, we made our views about the guidelines uh, about the proposed guidelines um, known at that first meeting. And it's well publicised now that um, a vote was taken and 50% of the judges present at that meeting decided that there should be a debate, a full debate and proper exchange of papers uh, so that people could actually uh, ventilate their views and and discuss these guidelines in considerable detail uh, before they were adopted, and that various uh, concerns, if you like, uh, could be addressed, hopefully addressed, um, the principle of which, the prin amongst which the principle was um, the perception that the judiciary were bending to the will of the executive. Worse still, that they were being seen to deliver on the demands of a vested interest namely the insurance industry. And um, so a, a lot of the judges, and particularly those who were um, concerned with or uh, having responsibility for um, administering the law uh, in relation to personal injuries, uh, had a principal concern. Um, not that the so the concern was not that damages shouldn't be reviewed and that uh, award levels and we should look at award levels and see whether these in fact should be reduced for any given uh, range of injuries, uh, but it was a matter of principle, and the principle concern was that um, the perception would be created that no matter how we had arrived there. There's a very, very detailed report um, which lies behind these guidelines. A huge amount of work was undertaken by my colleagues um, who are on the committee uh, comparing uh, levels of awards for similar injuries across Europe and in Britain and in Northern Ireland. So a massive really? amount of work went into this. But sure. And the, with that in mind, should, should, do you think we should be looking to those other jurisdictions as, as examples to follow? I mean, we we hear a lot about how awards in um, comparing between Ireland and England to give those low-level soft tissue injuries are four and a half times the amount here that you might find in England and Wales. Is that a relevance to us? Do you think, and is it is it right that we've been looking to those other jurisdictions as an example? Well, well I, I I think what what we should really just. I think it's important for everybody to understand in terms of your last question was that a lot of the opposition which came from the judiciary um, a, was on, on matters of principle as opposed to the detail or the substance of the guidelines. Um, there, there was some op, uh, uh, opposition in relation to the substance. I'll, I'll come to that separately, but um, I, I, I think it's important that 
that those who are participating are going to listen to this will actually understand why there was so much opposition and why in particular all of the personal injury judges, so those who were actually involved in actually administering the law, were opposed. And it might be helpful, I think, for people to understand where this opposition was coming from. And and in terms of principle, the, the real opposition was coming from the fact that the... Um, a, it was 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 basically coming from 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 the fact that there would be a public perception that the judicial council were essentially legislating. They were doing the job of the legislature. It's for the legislature to to make the law, and it's for the judges to administer the law. And here we were essentially making uh, guidelines or proposing guidelines, which would become the law, and and that we would basically have to. Uh, carry out our our duties and administer the law in accordance with these guidelines. The real concern, of course, was that um, to do what the government really wanted to do would might re- require a, a referendum to fetter the discretion of the judges uh, to deliver on a political demand that award levels had to be reduced and had to be substantially reduced. So how better to achieve that, that objective than to get the judges to do it themselves. Um, so you'd have to take your hats off, your wigs off to, 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 the, to, to the, the framers of the legislation um, because it got around what was potentially a very thorny uh, problem. Um, and this, this, this was a source of, this was also a source of opposition um, because a lot of us saw what was being done as a means of delivering on a political objective and those of us who and in fact i'm sure all judges would be believe in this but those of us who are wedded to the idea of the independence of the judiciary that that we shouldn't be seen to be doing that that this was this was basically a trespass into from the realm of the legislature into the realm of the judiciary and that basically uh, this is what caused so much a dissent, and you know when when we put it in terms of votes, um, by the time it actually came to a vote, um, it, it it only it only passed by eleven judges. In other words, if eleven judges had voted the other way, there'd have been no guidelines at all, at least not these guidelines. So that's how close the thing was, sure. and uh, that's not something which has been covered in the press. And yeah. um, they don't need the they don't know the. Um, they don't. They, they they actually don't really understand the, the the actual machinations that went into all of this. But I think that has to be. I think people need to understand. There's a big difference between, you know, people just being against the guidelines. It was that there's a there's a real question of principle here that the pers- public perception would be that the judiciary and that the 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 um the council or the judiciary through the council had simply bent. To political demand that awards had to come down and the costs had to come down. I'm. This is not in any way a criticism of the policy, um, not intended by me to be a criticism of the policy, or that it is not a legitimate objective to reduce awards of um, damages. Of course, these things are perfectly legitimate. It's just how is that to be done? And the real concern for us was that. The perception would be created, and indeed, you see it on the on the judicial council website, and you see it on a lot of the um, 
a lot of the um, um, web web um, websites now dealing with personal injuries. They basically they're nearly always introduced on this is this is all part of government policy. This is part of a program for insurance reform. So the judiciary are being seen essentially they're being portrayed as as being part of this process. And and of course that's not our function at all. And yeah. This is where is where a lot of the problem was coming from. So so anyway, sorry. I mean I, I just think it is important that people understand that uh, that there is a that you know that, that there is a principle there's a there's a principle of uh, difficulty here that we, we would want to adopt guidelines because that's the right thing to do, rather than because it it, it appears to be answering um, the demand of an a, a, an industry or, or 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 the government, and that's not good for the health of a democracy. I mean, it's really important that the judiciary remain absolutely independent and 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 separate from from the legislature. Um, all over Europe. We have problems with the judiciary, you know, being being under pressure to demand to bend to the will of the executive, and it it seems to me that even if we haven't done that, it's the perception that we've done it, which is which has caused so much concern amongst colleagues. Okay, um, if I can ask you, um, Sheila. So I mean, we've had a had a some good insight there from Judge Barton in, in respect of. Um, why some judges might have been against perceived interference with the independence of the, of the judiciary. Um, as far as the law library is concerned, and I appreciate you cannot speak for all your colleagues, um, what's the kind of general, is there, is there a consensus as to how these guidelines have been received or um, can you give us some insight into what um, people are thinking um, in, as far as the barristers are concerned? <clears throat> yeah, good morning, David, and thanks a million for having me also. Uh, I think just to follow on from what Judge Barton said there, I, I certainly think, and again, I can't speak for everybody in the law library, and as everybody knows, everybody in the law library has their own uh, differing and strong views um, on, on everything. But certainly, I think one of the concerns would have been, again, just the you know, the independence of the judiciary uh, being retained and being absolutely crucial in terms of the introduction of these guidelines, and in particular, that discretion um, is retained, which thankfully is within the guidelines. But I think that that would have been one of the concerns, certainly, of, of most practitioners. Uh, but then secondly, I think, you know, probably myself and, and any other practitioner would just have a concern that any claimant who has, you know, suffered a genuine and proper injury would be properly compensated and that justice would be done um, to that to that claimant. And I think that's probably generally one of the concerns, not necessarily with what's in the guidelines, but that if you, you know, and, and the maxim obviously applies and makes sense that, you know, modest injuries should attract modest awards, but that if you have somebody who's suffered a genuine injury and an ongoing and maybe a lengthy injury, who doesn't necessarily fall squarely within the guidelines, that those um, individuals would also be properly compensated or that perhaps practitioners could um, you know, appeal to the discretion of the judge in those particular cases. Uh, and then I think thirdly, the, the main discussions that have been going on, as John briefly touched on there this morning, is how these guidelines are going to take effect. Um, as John said, there is definitely some ambiguity as to the retrospective uh, nature of the guidelines and as to which cases they will apply to. And I think for practitioners going forward, that is one of the main concerns really as to how practitioners and judges alike will apply these guidelines in light of the 
wording of the legislation which proposes to enact them. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems to me that we're essentially looking at for for a while at least um, a two tier system, or certainly that's the the wording that's been banded around. Um, is that going to cause difficulty? Do you think where you're dealing with cases in the old and new regimes at the same time? Yeah, and I think in fact it may even get a bit more complicated than that. I think there's certainly going to be a two tier system for a while, but the the actual wording of the act applies to where an assessment has been made by PIAB, and unfortunately it doesn't make any reference to uh, where an authorization has been made. So I think in cases where there's been an authorization, but there hasn't been an actual action commenced, those cases is where the ambiguity lies in terms of where the uh, whether or not the guidelines will apply. But then secondly, in terms of a two-tier system, if you have a case which uh, either an action has been commenced or an assessment has been made where the new guidelines aren't going to apply, and then a plaintiff joins a second defendant, you're essentially looking at a two-tier system there where the old book of quantum would apply to, say, the initial or the first defendant, and then technically the judicial guidelines would apply to the second defendant. So I think all of those issues are going to come to the fore uh, when we're you know we're talking about dealing with not just a two-tier system but perhaps a three-tier system going forward. Sure. Um, John, I, just following what you from you were saying in terms of you know now we're looking at how we're going to apply these guidelines. Um, is it anticipated that there's a similar way we would use these guidelines as we do the Book of Quantum, or is there any specific differences that um, we need to look at? Um, and if so, what are they? Uh, yeah, absolutely, David. I think, um, as I said, you know, the, the, um, the guidelines are much more specific and much more detailed than the uh, Book of Quantum ends. The, I think it's it's very clear, you know, if you look at specific examples of cases where you may be able to slot your your injury into and to which category might more readily apply to it. And I think it's, you know, going through the, the, the guidelines in detail, it's much clearer, I think, from the guidelines as to which range of damages will actually apply to a particular injury or category of injuries. Um, the, you know, just turning to the book of quantum, <clears throat> you see that there was very wide ranges provided, whereas I think the actual guideline, the guidelines themselves are much more prescriptive. So even you know for insurers and, and legal teams trying to resolve cases outside of a court sitting, it should be much clearer in um, for the majority of cases which band a judge is going to be looking at um, if the case gets to that stage and in terms of, of what damages will actually apply to the, 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 uh, the injuries by reference to the medical reports. Sure. So I think that's very welcome in terms of, I mean, the, the, one of the, the motivations in, the, in relation to the <coughs> guidelines is that they would make they would ensure consistency and that it would be easier for practitioners and judges to actually decipher um, what range of damages is going to apply to a particular injury. And I think it certainly goes a long way to doing that in terms yeah. of the detail that's actually set out in the guidelines themselves. I mean, one of the things that often comes up, particularly if we talk about um, soft tissue injuries, is this concept of you know pre-existing conditions and how they should impact on um, quantum in any given case. Um, we're all familiar, I suppose, with the eggshell skull rule and we take the plaintiff as we find them. Um, is there any difference as to how we should consider pre-existing conditions? Um, Sheila, perhaps you might have an insight into to if there's any 
any change as to what we should expect and how we should be valuing claims on foot of what it says in the guidelines? Yeah, I think, again, uh, just as John said, the, you know, the certainty is certainly to be welcomed. And I think there is more certainty there in the guidelines. There's specific kind of direction, if you will, about pre-existing conditions. And that is that the courts shall have regard only to the extent in which the condition has uh, been made worse um you know by by the injury and i think pre-existing conditions is one of those things that always comes up for practitioners and for judges alike as to how you deal with them as you say you know you're familiar with the eggshell eggshell skull rule but there's often differences on the medical opinion as to whether or not some pre-existing condition has been exacerbated by the accident or has been affected at all or whether it's been made worse and i think that's probably likely to be, you know, still be the case in the future. But certainly, at least in terms of the actual guidance being there for some certainty is that it's the fact that uh, the only thing that the court will be taking into account is whether or not that pre-existing condition has actually been made worse or the duration of that condition has been made worse by uh, by the accident. Yeah. And uh, Judge Barton, if I, if I may ask um, yourself, um, it it appears to me it's going to be mandatory for judges to have reference to the guidelines, or at least it appears they're required to give reasoning if they wish to depart from the guidelines. Would you anticipate any kickback in terms of, of their application amongst the judiciary, or would you anticipate that they'll be followed fairly stringently? You know, I, I think what, what Sheila and John are saying about the guidelines, um, they're undoubtedly more, much more prescriptive than, than um, the Book of Quantum. And I think that's probably where a lot of concern, you know, judges in, in involved in personal injury at, at law, you know, were concerned about the the degree of 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 um, prescription, uh, and 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 basically, I, I suppose the fact that the the bans some of us thought were too 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 narrow because whereas before the book of quantum there was simply a statutory requirement that the judge would have it have have regard to the book now uh, th these guidelines are much more prescriptive uh, you have to <laughs> you basically have to stay within these tram lines and um <clears throat> if you're leaving the tram lines you really do have to to set out the reasons why you're doing that um, and of course, there could be you know, a multiplicity of injuries would be one reason why you would be going, and and that's recognised in the in 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 the new guidelines. Um, I just want to endorse while I'm while we're on this subject. I mean, I think it should be much easier for practitioners, and for um and and for the industry and for litigation for litigants in general, plaintiff or defendant, you know, to 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 get a picture of what's likely to be. The, the the outcome the parameters within which you know awards are going to be assessed and i i would be very concerned and you used the word kickback there uh, while it is undoubtedly the case uh, you know, it was a secret a secret ballot but i can tell you that uh, certainly in the high court all of the personal injury judges were against these guidelines being adopted in the form in which they were presented uh, but uh, lest there should be any concern uh, amongst uh, litigants and in particular the industry, you know, that there would be a negative kickback uh, against these guidelines. I don't believe that is the case. I think that uh, judges take their, sorry, from, from my own experience, take the oath um, very seriously and that they, they will apply the law. And um, this is the law now. 
and uh, I have no doubt but that the judges will 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 and, and will apply the law as they see it here. And um, I don't expect there to be any negative um, uh, attempt to um, to to um, disassemble, if I can put it that way, the guidelines by by uh, nuanced judgments. Um, yeah. Trying to bring cases outside, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's that's reds under the bed. So I don't think that's just going to happen. I think obviously there are going to be cases, and indeed, in fairness, the guidelines themselves recognise that there are going to be cases which depend on the particular circumstances, and a judge is going to be able to um, to exercise the his his or her discretion, um, and and will simply state that to be the case. But I think those additional circumstances, if they exist. That will become apparent in the course of the the, 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 the the claim because of what's going to have to be exchanged between the parties in terms of information. If there are additional uh, circumstances, then I think those will become apparent. You won't have to wait for a trial for that to happen. So I I, 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 I do think, I don't expect any, so the answer to the real question is, I don't expect a negative kickback. I think in the larger cases, in the more serious cases, there you, you may well see um, uh, reasoned judgments saying, well, you know, um, a, I'm, I'm leaving the, the guidelines for the following reasons. And if I might give you an example, <coughs> the guidelines, um, if we take a serious injury, a hand injury, for example, um, the, uh, the guidelines quite correctly say, you know, if somebody's lost a all the fingers of one hand, for example, you don't simply add up the, the amount, the range for each finger given in the book of quantum in order to arrive at a result. <coughs> what you have to do is you're going to look at the um, impact that the loss of all your fingers, and you say your thumb or all of your fingers, the main fingers of your hand, the loss of those, what impact was that going to have on you? Um, and that's the way you look at this, and that's the way the court is going to look at it. Uh, but I'll I just give a, I'll just give you an, an example of how, in a serious injury case, there's actually a significant reduction in the award levels and the, and the ranges of damages, uh, because I'm aware that the picture has been that it's that it's in the minor soft tissue injuries that the, the biggest reductions have occurred. That is correct, but but uh, people should not be under any uh, um, illusion that uh, um, award levels for serious injuries um, have really not not changed uh, terribly much. I, that's not that doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Yeah, um, I'm giving you an example now. Uh, the second last case I decided involved a, a man who lost all the fingers of his hand, and he was uh, he had been he had no real educational um, background. He had he'd been in prison. He, in prison, he'd actually been trained to work um, machinery, uh, woodworking and and metalworking machinery, and he was actually going to be able to get a job. <laughs> As a result of this training, he actually amputated all of the fingers of his hand uh, in the workshop of the prison. And um, 
it, the, the question of quantum, I mean, I, I actually dismissed his case. Uh, I was reversed on the Court of Appeal saying I shouldn't have reserved, um, as a, a point of law, I shouldn't have reversed his, I shouldn't have dis dismissed his claim. Uh, and the case was then sent back to me to, to uh, um, determine the question of contributory negligence, apportionment of fault and damages. Now, this man, uh, he, the, the medical evidence in the case was such that he is literally deprived of, of, of a livelihood. Now, there was no claim for actuarial loss in the case, but his, his hand is essentially a paddle. He can't even use the hand to the stumps that are left. He, can't, he couldn't actually get his hand around a shovel, for example. Um, so he's a young man. He's only in his 30s. So the impact on his capacity to work in the future is is, is dramatic in the in the extreme well if you look at the new guidelines uh, you know the loss of a hand you know is put at 150,000 euros i awarded that man 275,000 euros so uh, tomorrow, if his case was coming into court on the basis of these guidelines, the same plaintiff would end up getting €125,000 less than he got from me. So that, that's a very significant um, reduction. Uh, so it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be correct to say that, you know, the, um, you know, the more serious injuries, um, you know, that, 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 that these haven't been impacted. They have been impacted as well. Um, now, the particular case, I'm picking this case for two reasons. One, to indicate the, the, the level of reduction contemplated by the guidelines for a very serious injury. And, 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 and two, that's the kind of case, the other reason for picking it is, this is the kind of case where I anticipate a judge in the high court if he had that kind of case or she she had that case in front of them, I anticipate that's just the kind of case where uh, I see um david i i do i do, I do see a departure coming in yeah. that kind of case for the kind of reasons which i have which i which I've indicated to you okay, that's very interesting. Thank you for listening to the first part of this series on the new judicial guidelines in Ireland. Please do tune in to the second part of our series, where we'll be discussing the expected impact of the guidelines on the Irish court system and also the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, and where we will also discuss the potential impact of the reforms on the insurance market generally. <laughs>